This is the Mathematics Education Podcast from MathEdPodcast.com. Welcome to the Math Ed Podcast. My name is Sam Otten from the University of Missouri, and my guest is Corey Webble, who's an assistant professor in the Department of Mathematical Sciences at Montclair State University. Thanks, Corey, for being here. Thank you. We're going to be discussing Corey's article entitled, High School Students' Goals for Working Together in Mathematics Class, Mediating the Practical Rationality of Studenting. And that's going to be appearing soon in the journal Mathematical Thinking and Learning. Um, but before we get to that article, uh, I wanted to ask Corey if you could um, just describe your graduate experiences before your position at Montclair State University. Sure. So uh, I did my PhD at the University of Delaware, um, started in 2006 to 2010. Uh, before that, I was, a, I was a high school teacher. And um, I was using, uh, using the Core Plus Mathematics curriculum, and, and that was a really intriguing curriculum for me, and that was really what prompted me to want to wanna go into math education and, and to, to study the different kinds of things that teachers do and the different things that students do uh, mm-hmm. when they're in mathematics classes. Uh-huh. And your advisor at University of Delaware, I believe, was Amanda Jansen? That's correct, yes. And uh, she's actually a past guest of this podcast. She's in episode 1205, if people are interested. So when you started your graduate studies, um, what did you see kind of as your main area of interest or the, the area that ended up being, you know, your, your dissertation? Right. So I was really intrigued by, like I said, I was, I was teaching from these core plus curriculum materials, actually learned a lot of, of math by using those curriculum, mm-hmm. uh, using those materials. Um, and I was really interested in, in how teachers were using those. Um, I knew that, that not everybody found those easy to use, there were, there were challenges, and so I really started out by thinking, well, what's, what's hard about this? What's hard about using this, this curriculum? Um, and so I, I went to several different teachers' classes, um, I interviewed some teachers just kind of to see what they thought was hard, and I really uh, became intrigued by this idea of, of promoting collaboration among mm-hmm. students. Um, I'm sure m- most folks are familiar with, uh, with the way those curricula work, but there's a lot of uh, group investigations where students are working together to solve problems. Right. And, uh, and, and that was a, a, an aspect that seemed to be challenging for teachers to implement. So that's, that's where I wanted to, to focus my, uh, my dissertation. Okay. And in your dissertation, so you're looking at the uh, small group work and student collaboration, and you specifically were looking at students' perspectives. Um, so you yes. weren't just kind of studying them as an outsider. You were trying to get students' voices um, yes. in that process. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that actually came, I did a pilot study where I, I was in four different teachers' classes. I was watching um, how the, the group work was enacted, how the students talked with each other, and I realized that, that I, was, I was trying to make some claims about how students perceived their experiences. Um, I used a survey, but I realized the survey wasn't, wasn't giving me enough in terms mm-hmm. of how they um, were seeing their responsibilities. What were they supposed to do when they were asked to work together? And so I really wanted, for my dissertation, I really wanted to, to get in their heads a little bit. And, and um, really, my, my original goal was to try to understand how the, the decisions that the teacher made was impacting their sense of their responsibilities. Um, hmm. And try to link up these instructional actions, instructional decisions with, with the way that the students were engaging in, a, in these collaborative group work sessions. Right. Investigating those links. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but for your dissertation, you ended up kind of as a, a building block to that larger potential research goal. Um, you were 
I think uh, it looks like you were first trying to really wrap your head around and get a framework and a way to really talk about students' goals for participating in the small group work and in the mathematical activities. Right, right. So I expected them to talk more about the teacher and what the teacher was doing, but as I was talking to these students, they were bringing up all these other things, all these other uh, motivations for, for the kinds of things that they did. Um, and that was really intriguing. So, so the paper actually ended up taking a, a turn from where I thought it was going to go, but it, but still really, really interesting, um, mm-hmm. really interesting data. Yeah, and so I should say that uh, this article that's going to be appearing in Mathematical Thinking and Learning, this article does come from your dissertation work, so it's right in this wheelhouse of students' goals for working together um, right. and working collaboratively in mathematics classrooms. Right. Um, so one thing I wanted to ask you about in the article was um, you made an attempt, uh, and I think you know a very good effort, and I try to do this in my own work as well, but it's to balance theoretically the social and the cognitive, or the social and the psychological. So um, mm-hmm. could you talk a little bit about how you tried to achieve that in the article? Right. Um, I, I, I agree. I, I think that it's challenging. Uh, I think about we think about learning um, from both of those perspectives, and um, and I think that's a challenge for us to try to incorporate both of them. I, I still think that this particular article is is, is pretty heavily from the psychological side. Um, I'm talking to individual students about their perceptions, but I'm also trying to make room for the fact that that some of the some of the resources that they have, some of the um, Goals, some of the some of the things that they draw on don't necessarily just come in from their internal, you know, assets, their their mm-hmm. knowledge or their beliefs. Some of those things come from the context in which they're um, in which they're participating. So, in a classroom, I might be able to do things in, in a, one particular classroom that I couldn't do in another because the norms of that classroom legitimize that kind of action. And so, I wanted to to sort of try to account for that, at least in the theoretical framework, to say, you know, that there are other there are other things that are available besides just sort of your your personal uh, your personal assets. There's these there's these social social resources I talk about in the paper mm-hmm. um, that um, that students can draw. So I wanted to to acknowledge those, and and I think there's a lot of room to to do more of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one thing that would have been a nice uh, compliment to what I did was to do a, a more of a a thorough analysis of the social norms of the these kinds of assets um, as they were enacted in the class, sort of from this social perspective, to to complement um, the focus that I took, which was mostly on uh, the students' um, goals, perceptions, their responsibilities. Right, but I think you know, even though this particular paper it, it might still have more of a psychological slant, I think by setting the stage, you're allowing yourself in the future to really fill out both sides of it, and I, I think, think so. setting that stage is important. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, and you drew on uh, Herbst's work with practical rationality that, to help you do that. Yeah. So having this research question about students' goals for working together um, in the classroom, so what was the particular data that you looked at to try to um, address this question about students' goals? Uh, just, just real quick, I want to say, yes, yes, drew on Pat Herbst's work, but also um, I had lots of conversations with Wendy Aaron, okay. um, who's uh, one of his students who's now at Oregon State. Um, and so she helped me think about this uh, from the student perspective. Um, what what are sort of the social goal are the social resources available to students? Whereas um, Herbst is mostly thinking about the those resources uh, from the teacher perspective. So I wanted to make sure I I give Wendy um, some some credit for that because she helped me a lot with. Uh, oh, absolutely. About that. So the data was mostly these these interviews I did with the students. Um, so I was doing these observations in the class. I spent pretty much a semester there. I did 23 observations for a 90-minute class, and then I, I um, interviewed. I picked uh, eight eight target students, interviewed them uh, a couple of times. 
Uh, during one of the interviews, I showed them clips. So I, I was making these recordings in their class, and, and a lot of times I was recording small group work. Mm-hmm. So I showed them these clips of, of themselves working in these groups and said, you know, well, okay, so here, here I noticed you did this. Um, tell me about what you were thinking or tell me about why you think you did that or what do you think of that? Do you think that was a good thing to do? So I really w- was trying to get at uh, not only what they were doing, but what they thought about what they were doing, what they, how they, um, when they reflected on that, when they watched themselves, what kind of a, a reaction did they have? Um, mm-hmm. Really trying to, to sort of uh, triangulate. I, I, it was interesting because when I when I would watch an episode, I would sometimes get this impression about what I thought the student was trying to do, and then uh-huh. you would talk to them and you you hear these uh, discrepancies about what I thought they were trying to do, and then what they what they were really trying to do. So um, yeah. So it was really a, a nice methodology to, to really try to uncover. Um, yeah, it shows how important it is on. to really talk to the students or talk to the people involved and get their perspective on it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that the, the, the viewing session was nice because it wasn't just let's talk about this in the abstract because you never know. Um, you know I'm a, here I am, this adult, coming into this class, and you know, they might want to say things that I, you know, they think I want to hear. But if I can show them this video and say, well, look, you, you know, you told me in my last interview that, you, you know, you like to do this kind of thing. But here in this video, I see this, you know, you're doing something different. So can you tell me about that? Tell me mm-hmm. about why, you know, why was this different? Or is this a rare occurrence? Does this happen a lot? You know, so so it also, um, I feel like it, it, it improves some of the some of the reliability in terms of me mm-hmm. uh, making judgments about what they actually what was actually important to them. And for these interviews, you refer to them as viewing session interviews. Um, I wanted to just ask you, because um, in the article you talk about how this is different than stimulated recall interviews, which is maybe right. what some of the listeners were thinking of when they hear that methodology, but could you just say a little bit about that choice to call them viewing session interviews? Right. So um, I, there's a concern with viewing session interviews, um, or, or sorry, with um, stimulated, stimulated recall, um, this idea that if you're tr- trying to get someone to watch this video and you're say something like, well, tell me what you were thinking, you know, in this moment, well, it may be hard for the person to remember what they were thinking, or they may make up some other motivation that sounds a little bit better than the one that they actually had. So, mm-hmm. so there's reliability, reliability issues. Um, so what I was really trying to do was not necessarily get them to recreate or reinterpret what they were thinking at the moment. Okay. Uh, but I was more focused on how do they think about the activity in the video now, sort of in reflection, in hindsight, as I look at this, how do I characterize what happened? Do I think what happened was good? Do I think it wasn't? So, so okay. it's more about sort of using the, the uh, video as a stimulus to, to reflect and to talk about sort of these more, um, more general goals, these more general motivations, rather than trying to recreate exactly how they felt at the moment. Okay, so the, the setup is similar, but, but the focus is a little different. Instead of getting them to try to describe something from the past what was going on in the video you're just getting their reactions actually from the present you're just saying what what are your reactions now what how would you describe your goals and your motivations and perceptions right. now right i mean and, and there there's there's some of that where they are sort of recreating what they thought but but that's the it's really an, an analytical focus that that's not the central point of the analysis is not to try to you know see what they were thinking at the moment but more about sort of how they how they think about it when they reflect on it mm-hmm. um, presently as they're as they're talking about it in the interview. And with your analysis, so you're you're looking for themes emerging for goals. And, and is it true that the the um, dimensions that we're going to talk about in a second related to the students' goals for collaborating and working together, um, did those emerge, or did you have some uh, sense of what those might be ahead of time? 
Uh, yeah, no, the, they they emerged. I was pretty open, um, and and in fact, this particular paper is a, is the way I ta- the way I'm talking about Stephen Goals was not my original slant that I was using for my dissertation. So so actually, if you look at, at this paper compared to my dissertation, that's it, mm-hmm. there's there's quite a few different. It's the same data, mm-hmm. but it's this completely different um, lens of looking at it. So, and that's um, because you were you were kind of letting the data speak to you. Um, and you were trying to really go from the data, right? Right. So again, I was trying to connect this, you know, these student perspectives to the teachers' decisions, and you know, I was asking them some about what the teacher was doing, but but really, what came out was these these different goals that these students were actually seemed to be trying to achieve different things. When the teacher said, "Work together on this problem," different students were trying to were interpreting that very differently and, and thinking about what they were responsible to do very differently. So mm-hmm. that that actually was pretty surprising to me. And um, and that comes out in the in the article and in the in the dimensions. Okay, so uh, n- now speaking of the dimensions, um, uh, I'm just going to ask you to kind of describe what those dimensions were for the students' goals for working together in mathematics classrooms. Sure. So so the first dimension I think is is kind of the the familiar one. It's it's what are what are the goals? What are what is the content? Like what are, what are the students trying to trying to achieve when they're put into a group and, and their teacher says, you know, work together on this problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you could separate those a lot of, a lot of different ways. Um, the way that I did in the paper was just uh, a pretty simple um, mathematical goals versus non-mathematical goals. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I illustrate that with this case of this kid that I call Lo- Logan, who um, just was fascinating. I mean, he's kind of the, the class clown of, of, the, of this particular class and was very social, was very... Um, Kind of boisterous, um, loved working in groups, uh, but really interesting when I talked to him. I mean, we had this viewing session where his groups, uh, you know, not really getting much math done. He admitted, you know, he's not learning much in the group, but he's kind of socializing and having this good time. And and he's sort of when I ask him about, you know, about that, he he's his characterization characterization of the group work was that it was great. Um, that and and he would even say, you know, the teacher should put you in a group with your friends because you're going to get more work done even though in the video he's not so he's almost conflating getting work done or, or you know working well in a group with um, enjoying his time in a group right. uh-huh. um, so and so for him like that was what it was all about it was all about you know is he going to enjoy this this time to to socialize I mean, he's getting some work done too um, but that's not really that's not really what his goal is when when he's in a group yeah i mean what is was he the student that said um I try to complete my work so that we can have more time to socialize. Right, right. So, so he does talk about getting work done, but it's not about it's not about learning mathematics really. It's about getting this sort of getting these tasks done so that he can have some time to socialize and, and you know have a good time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, on the the other end of that dimension would be mathematical goals for right. uh, students working together. Right, right. So there were there were other students who talked about. Um, really wanting to understand. I mean, there was one one kid who said, um, Connor, who said a lot of, he even contrasted sort of his group with other groups. He said, you know, other groups, like, they go to the teacher and they want to get the answer, but I'd rather really understand this. I don't necessarily want to go to the teacher until I, until as I really, really need help. Hmm. Um, otherwise, I'm going to really try to figure it out myself because then I, or, you know, our group's going to try to figure it out ourselves so that we can, we really understand this thing. And so that was a, a pretty sharp contrast from what I saw from Logan. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, that's just one way I think of characterizing the content of the goal: this mathematical versus non-mathematical. I think you could you could characterize it in, in, in other ways, but I think that was pretty interesting just to to see that variety within this within this um, single class. 
Right. So. And I think the nice thing about the paper, too, is um, you present the cases where um, readers, you know, would be free to, you know, take a different interpretation as well. I mean, you make the case for your interpretation, but sure. you present the data and you, you sort of uh, allow the reader to get to know the students in a way where they might also bring some of their own interpretations to it. Right. That was one of my goals for sure was to just put a lot of these students' voices in the paper so that people can mm -hmm. see, you know, the things that I saw when I talked to them. So... Um, another dimension that you uh, flesh out in the paper uh, has to do with group versus individual. Could you yes. say a little bit about that dimension? Sure. So this one's not as much about what the content of the goal is, what I'm trying to achieve, but more about who is responsible for meeting this goal. Um, whose job is it to, to do this thing that I that I've set up as, as my goal? So there were some contrasts here, too. So I, I actually contrast two different students, in, in Savanier and Connor are there. What, I've, what I'm calling them. Um, so, so Savanier is very um, concerned with, I mean, she's concerned with learning. She wants to learn the math. She's also concerned with getting tasks done. But for her, the responsibility for meeting those goals, for, for learning the mathematics, is mostly uh, falls on the individual. So she says things like, you know, if you don't want to do your work, you know, that's your, that's your prerogative. You can... Um, you know, I, I'm not going to make you do your work. You can do it if you want. She says things like, you know, if you want to copy my answers, you can copy my answers. You know, it's, it's your responsibility to make sure you understand. Um, so it's really for her accomplishing this goal of learning mathematics is is an individual thing. Everyone's responsible for their own um, mm -hmm. for their own learning, basically. Um, and then and then if we go back to Connor again, he says. Things like, you know, I, I don't think I should get too far ahead of the other members of my group. I think we should all be together. He actually mentions um, No Child Left Behind and says, you know, <laughs> I, I actually really like that because I don't think we should be leaving people behind. Yeah. Um, he says things that, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, I'm not really being successful if, if unless we all are being successful. So he has this very much sort of this, this group responsibility um, that solving mathematics problems, learning is something we do as a class, is something we do as a group. Um, so that was pretty interesting, again, to see to see both of those perspectives come out in the same class. I think it's an interesting um, way of sort of uh, talking about differences in goals, not only in terms of what we're trying to do, but also who, who who's responsible for doing these things, right. who's responsible for meeting these goals. Right. And as we mentioned, there's a, a lot of data and a lot of the voice of the students in the article, and people can um, would definitely be encouraged to look for the article. There's also a third dimension um, between the personal and the normative that uh, yeah. you touch upon in the article, but it doesn't quite quite get as much as uh, attention as these first two dimensions do. Yeah, yeah, and this one I think was hard analytically. It was hard to to sort of um, describe, but it just it just popped out of the data where where students would sometimes say something that seemed like it was a goal, but then later they would they would say, you know, well, but that's not really, I don't really, you know, I don't really think that that's important or that's, and so it was this idea that, like, there are these goals that are that are maybe more normative, that maybe they are, at least the students perceive as normative, that they're supposed to want to do mm -hmm. um, this thing, but that when they really get down to it, that's not really one of their, their personal goals. So I think that that's also an interesting... And I think that's it, it. Sort of leads into this um, idea of the social social resources versus the psychological, you know, sort of the personal resources. Like here's my personal goal, but here's this goal that at least is perceived to be normative in the class. And then and then I think there's a negotiation that happens there. Um, and so, uh, like you said, I, I I'm just touching on that in the article. Um, right. This idea that that this there there are these perceived normative goals 
um, that are sort of out there also, and I think that those are worth worth looking at. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and the article we're discussing is uh, going to be appearing in the future in Mathematical Thinking and Learning. It's entitled "High School Students' Goals for Working Together in Mathematics Class: Mediating the Practical Rationality of Studenting." Um, I don't think we know what issue that's going to be published in yet, right? But it's going to be coming out probably. In I think it's January. I, I have oh, really? I have the pr- I have the proofs already, so so it's 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 soon. Coming up soon. All right, great. Um, my guest is Corey Webble from Montclair State University. I should say uh, the award-winning writer Corey Webble. Um, <laughs> you, Corey won uh, NCTM's uh, Linking and Research uh, Linking Research and Practice Outstanding Publication Award, um, and that's a great article as well that I would definitely encourage the the listeners to read if they have a chance. Um, but Going back to the MTL article and with these uh, students' goals for working together, um, having done this work, I mean, and, and, you know, through your dissertation, but now also kind of reinterpreting it for this article, what do you see as compelling questions that are coming out of this work? Sure. So my original purpose in, in exploring these students' goals was to really shed light on, on what it meant to teach uh, in a class where you're going to use collaboration. And I think that's that's... For me, the, my, my personal interest in moving forward is to, is to consider, okay, when, when I'm a teacher and I say, you know, students, let's work on this problem together, mm-hmm. there might be much more diversity in terms of what students think that means yeah. than, than you might realize. Um, and I think that that's, that's really fascinating. And I, I, we think about diversity in a lot of different ways, um, but one thing that I'm not sure we think about is diversity in goals. Um, mm-hmm. what, are these, what are these students' different goals? For for our practice, and not just working together. I think there's lots of practices you you do. Um, Wendy calls these studenting studenting practices, which I really like. This idea of like there's teaching practices, but then there's these studenting practices too. Mm-hmm. And so when you ask students to engage in these various practices, they bring different different goals with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that there's interesting. It's interesting to think about how the those personal goals. Um, are negotiated in light of the, the the norms that you want to establish, or norms that already exist, or um, um, again, it's a sort of um, negotiation between the personal and the uh, and the social. Mm-hmm. I think um, is again and again another interesting question. But yeah. I, but for me, it's it's a, it's this idea of sort of okay, well, how can we help teachers? What's I mean, and that's that's sort of my focus. Right. I mean, you also, ultimately, is is how do you help teachers enact these kind of practices um, successfully? Yeah. So I, I think for me, like these goals are their leverage for teachers. Like if I know that that this kid really wants to work with his friends and feels like that's his, you know, that's his main goal is to socialize. Well, okay, how how, how can I think about that? How can I how can I leverage that into into mm-hmm. him engaging in this this collaborative work in the way that that's going to be productive for him mathematically? Yeah, and it's it's kind of coming back to your initial interest. It, I mean, initially you wanted the teacher to be kind of in the picture, and you were interested as a researcher in the teacher's role in all of this. Right. And then now you've kind of you needed to dig in to look at the students' goals and really get the student perspective. But now it sounds like you have kind of this uh, motivation to to pull it back out and look at the teacher again in relation to these issues. Sure. And I think too, I mean, something that just struck me as you were talking about, I mean, a lot of times I think when teachers are talking about small groups, are talking about, you know, collaboration in math class. A lot of time, uh, I think what's at the forefront of the teacher's mind is ability. I mean, you hear mm-hmm. a lot about teachers doing ability groupings, or they're really right. thinking about my sort of high-achieving students versus and my struggling students, and how am I going to group them? But now, this work that you're doing is really bringing in another lens to that issue of what's not, it's not just about ability, there's also these social factors, and it also, you might want to think about 
the goals that your students have when you are forming those small groups or when you're facilitating the small groups. Right. Right. Absolutely. I mean, if you've got a kid who just wants to get the answers and get through the tasks and you're going to do this heterogeneous grouping where you're going to put him with a, with a kid who's, you know, mm -hmm. a high ability, what's going to happen? Yeah. And that kid's probably just going to copy all the answers and think he's doing a good, you know, he's yeah. meeting all of his goals. And these, so, yeah, these differences that students might have in goals could be completely independent of the differences that they might have in their sort of uh, sure. abilities or their, yeah. Sure, sure, yeah. My guest is Corey Webble, and I do have one more question I want to ask before I let you go. I appreciate you very much being here, but um, we're all curious, if you weren't in math education as a career, uh, what could you see yourself doing? <laughs> um, so there's, I, I have two answers to that question. Um, I'm, I think of myself as a very right-brained uh, person. So on one hand, I think I would do something that's, that's totally, <laughs> totally non-math. So I actually kind of, I have this, um, one of my guilty pleasures is I, I read fantasy novels. Uh -huh. um, so I, I, I almost think I would want to be a, a writer, a, like a novelist who would write, uh, write fantasy novels. Yeah. So that would be that would be one 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 goal, and then this other thing that I've I've always sort of thought if I had another if I had a different life and and you know got a chance to do it again I may um, go in this direction which would be uh, architecture, oh, um, which I think is nice I think it sort of blends this idea of you get to be you get to be creative you get to do some artistic kind of things, but you're also using a lot of math a lot of geometry I'm always, I've always been a geometry person, mm -hmm. um, so that would be that would be the other one uh, so I maybe I maybe I'd be an architect and write on the side. Yeah. <laughs> so. That sounds great. Um, Corey, thanks so much for being here. Yeah, thank you very much, Sam. Appreciate it.